0: Going beyond the headlines? Getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR.
1: Good Tuesday afternoon. A chilly afternoon. Thanks for spending it with me. You know what? The guest this half hour, our topic ties in with what's been going on in the world ever since Harvey Weinstein and before that, of course. But even in the news, uh, Darcy was just talking about Ronna Ambrose saying that federal party party leaders need to send a clear message that sexual misconduct will not be tolerated. We are hearing this over and over. The Me Too movement is getting louder and louder But we have to back up a bit because in order for any of these movements to gain momentum, you need to have people who are brave enough to come forward, who are strong enough to share their story. How do we empower not just women, predominantly women, but how do we empower people to be able to speak up? My guest this half hour believes it starts from a really early age. Allison Schaefer, parenting expert, joins us today. Hello, Allison. Hello. We are hearing it, you know, ever since Harvey Weinstein, but even before that and more so since. We hear of people saying that they've got to come forward to say that something happened to them that they didn't think was right. It's taken many years for them to gain the courage to share the story. You believe we've got to start instilling this in children at a very young age.
0: Exactly. That if we expect somebody to make, as you say, the courageous, bold move to speak up, uh, and, and especially in this type of speaking up, potentially to re-traumatize themselves, if it goes to trial, if they have to uh, fill in police documents, uh, they often have to relive. The pain and suffering that they've experienced. So it takes a a tremendous personal toll on somebody to be able to do this. So in their mind, they have to know that they are strong enough to do it, that their actions are going to lead to some positive outcome and to have some personal moral ethical code uh, that says, uh, I'm, I'm mandated by my own belief in justice that this needs to happen. And those those outlooks, those attitudes, those beliefs are ingrained in our children at a very young age. It's really in those early formative years that we give our kids a sense of agency and control and self-esteem to be able to handle progressively bigger challenges in life and even ones that are as traumatic as sexual assault, abuse, you know, misconduct of power.
1: And you're right. I mean, we're talking about that now, the sexual harassment allegations, but this goes much broader to be able to give our children a voice to be able to speak up for themselves. I love the fact that you said they have to feel strong enough to do it because I think whether it be in the case of sexual harassment or anything, you've got to be strong enough in yourself because... Right when you share a story, you know there's going to be people who are critical of what you're saying. And so, in the end, you've got to believe in yourself.
0: Exactly. And, you know, we have to remember the stories of, you know, people that um, hit the Jewish population during the Holocaust or the lone man who stood in front of the tanks in Tiananmen Square. There's been many times in history where people have said, I need to do what is right. Regardless of what the rest of the crowd uh, is doing, um, and we're challenged after ourselves. Would I, would I have that inner strength? Um, it, it. Given given the repercussions that could happen to me, um, and many of us are saying we'd love to raise our kids to be to be able to live by their convictions. And so, what do we need to do as parents to to raise those kids so that social change keeps moving? Because I do I have a very optimistic view that a lot of the uh, upheavals that we're seeing now with um, between the Hillary Trump parties, um, uh, the so many social movements now that have. Uh, they just be divided amongst one another. I think are moving towards positive social change, but we we need to learn how to have dissent in a way that is constructive, so that we aren't having carballings and um, you know, civil unrest in our streets that are making people feel very vulnerable.
1: You know, it's I think what's great is social media is great because it gives legs to some of these movements. Social okay, media
0: Spring wouldn't have happened ex- exactly. That.
1: Yeah. So social media is also bad because sometimes it gives, uh, it's not a conversation people are having. You're not always hearing, uh, both sides. It's almost an echo chamber. So we really got to watch even how we use social media when it comes to giving our young people what they think is their voice. Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. And again, this is where parenting comes in. Um, that we have to really put this on the agenda of things that we need to cover off with our kids. So even just the smallest things, the parents might not have connected the dots if we didn't bring it to their attention. But let's just say something small like a tickle fight. It sounds so innocent. How many people haven't enjoyed having a little kid and having a tickle fight? But when they start screaming, no, no, stop, they might still be laughing because the body does produce a laugh reflex. But the fact that they're saying no and you're overriding it, I've had many adults in therapy telling me terrible stories of feeling trapped, feeling uh, that they were powerless, that they couldn't get away, that no one listened to them. Um, and this is horrifying. These can be horrifying early childhood recollections that, that stay ensconced in, in their memories. And so I would say just that small thing alone is that when a child says, no, don't tickle me, we need to stop. We need to absolutely stop. It's a, it's a, it's a form of consent between parent and child. And I would extend that to potty training and eating. When a child is trying to learn to find that little inner voice and pay attention to their body and what feels right and to build the um, attunement to our body and the, and the natural signals that it sends, we don't want it overridden by authority that says one more bite of peas, you know?
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. Just, you know, you you got me flashing back to raising my <laughs> kids as well. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, where did I go wrong again? Well, but- we don't. We don't.
0: You know, why it wouldn't cross our mind because, of course, we come with a tradition of of repeating how we were parent. And unless we step back and sort of look at it through this new framework, why would we put those two thoughts together? But in fact, we do want kids to have a sense of agency over their bodies, over that small inner voice. And it starts at those early ages with those. Small pieces of age-appropriate control over themselves.
1: Ultimately, we are trying to teach them how they can speak up for themselves. So if you're saying that they feel they can't even, I'm trying to say no, no one's listening to me, then I can understand why we're defeating this purpose of trying to raise strong, confident kids.
0: Yeah, so, I, I same thing, I'd say grandma and grandpa come for a visit and your child says, I don't feel like kissing them, mm-hmm. I would not force them to kiss. Now, what will happen, that might sound um, permissive, and I'm sure some of your listeners are saying, that's ridiculous, I come from an Italian family, we all hug and kiss, we're we'll too sanitary over here. Yeah. You know, the, the the idea is, it's not about the cultural piece, it's about how we're going to teach them, which is kids respond incredibly to modeling. And so if you don't force them, but you continue to hug and kiss and hug and kiss, they will mimic you when they feel comfortable. Mm. And that will come with time. But if you force them, you are more likely to make them feel uncomfortable. They're less likely to adopt that behavior. So it's not as if I don't have the end goal in mind. It's all just about how we go about it and and trusting that with exposure to other people with them feeling more confident about themselves we will develop that desire to want to change their boundaries in a way that says yes i actually do feel like kissing grandma and grandpa now but when when they don't feel like it we don't force it
1: allison i want to take a break here allison schaefer is um, my guest this half hour she's a parenting expert wrote a good column in huffingtonpost.ca how to teach kids to speak up for themselves back with allison after this How do we ensure that our child learn, children rather, learn to be confident that they can actually speak up for themselves? And it doesn't have to be a case of sexual harassment. There's a lot of different situations where you hope that your children, who will eventually grow into adults, will be able to have the confidence to share their thoughts. <laughs> Allison Schaefer is a parenting expert. She joins me. Um, a number of texts disagreeing, Allison, but one here I've got to just correct the the listener saying... Um, Kids learn from parents, not from themselves. But Allison, you just said that, that especially when it comes to the situation where maybe the child doesn't want to kiss grandma, if you model and show that everything's okay, eventually the child decides for themselves that it's okay to kiss grandma.
0: That's right. And so I don't disagree that there's a role for parents um, in child guidance that we do need to teach our kids about social living and uh, social norms. But as I'm saying around body body boundary issues, the way that we teach them is with time and exposure and comfortability and modeling. Your internal thermostat around how you feel about touching others and being touched by others will change over time, and we move towards socializing around hugging and kissing. And, and lots, you know, there's many affectionate, touchy-feely people, and there's other people that have bigger boundary issues, and they're just not into that. And yeah. you don't know who your child is going to be, you know, on the spectrum of those ranges of normal humanity.
1: When we speak of children, and I I don't want to make this a gender issue, but do we culturally have an expectation that girls will be quiet and polite and boys will be louder and boisterous?
0: We do still have cultural biases around gender. There's no doubt about it. I think we are opening our eyes to that more now than we have in the past. Um, But we do still see this... Um, tendency to pull for girls being more compliant, um, to be more obedient, to socially smooth situations rather than to stand up and and be conflictual. Um, And so how much of that is still genetic wiring? How much of that is socialization? Is not an exact formula. Um, But... You can see that in the women's movement, women have been told and little girls are told that one of the ways to get power, to be empowered, is to use their body as a commodity. And that becomes a really problematic formula when you say that your worth is based on your beauty, put your beauty first so that you'll get Uh, different attention or um, given different placement, different ranking, Uh, and of course that just leads to all kinds of of, um, workplace problems, uh, uh, domestic issues. So we're really, that's a really bad script for life, and girls hear it not just directly, not saying it's direct from their parents, it's a very subtle message that comes through marketing, music, um, uh, you know, their are characters in in TV shows. It's sort of all over they're
1: steeped in it in these quiet messages. I I think if anything, if we're trying to teach them how to speak up for themselves, we allow children to speak. And when they speak, we are interested in what they're saying. I mean, I know sometimes when we say children, people are thinking we're stuck in the five or six year olds, but they become 12 year olds and 17 year olds and then 24 year olds. Isn't that important as well as to um, giving them a voice that we are listening to them?
0: Exactly. And and so, of course, what they have to say and what they have to contribute and their passion behind it will grow as their age develops. But if you're five years old and you get a choice between whether or not you're going to have macaroni and cheese or fish sticks for dinner because you've been given an appropriate opportunity to have some say about supper you know that that's a, that's fine for a five-year-old i'm not expecting them to chime in about what kind of mortgage we're going to have fixed rate or variable you know i mean <laughs> these are these are age appropriate voices that we're asking kids to have about matters that impact them that have an effect on them and when they feel that oh i can make a contribution my voice means something Um, they will start to contribute different ideas to the family. What should we do on the weekend? Or how should we handle all the mess in the front hall? Or we always seem to be late for school in the morning. How could we do that better? And we start listening to their ideas. They start feeling, hey, you know, I'm only one kid and I'm five years old, but I have some ideas and people listen to me and I can make things better in my house. Then by the time you get to school, in in my case, I remember I was – student council president in grade 7 in my middle school they still had segregated lunchrooms the boys weren't allowed to eat with the girls and as president of student council my first proclamation was to make for a co-ed lunchroom and that sounds ridiculous to me now as I even say it but the point is i believed in in that i had been listened to as a child so of course i could make political change in in the school and i did and my brothers helped eliminate the uh, bible readings in uh, public schools when they were in high school they were social activists and we were on um, w5 and (laughs) you know interviewed so if you if your parents have shown you how to have a voice in a way that is respectful how to have respectful respectful activism um, it, it will just continue to grow, you know. So uh, I think we do start in the home with the simple things, simple problem solving in the home, saying your opinion matters and makes a difference to the family unit.
1: No, I, I just worry, worry, I've got listeners probably who are saying, the way you're laying this out, Alison, is the kids are ruling the roost here. And where's the authoritarian? What about the discipline? I, I don't want this message to be mixed in with that. I think these are two separate things. Thank you. I'm
0: so glad, Angela. It's the number one confusion in this message, That so I'm so glad that you put light to it. What we're talking about is being in mutually respectful relationships and having, res, res, having a respectful voice. In the family, an age-appropriate voice in the family, which means we're moving out of being in a slave-tyrant dichotomy. So um, that does not mean that a parent is no longer in a position of ruling the family. You are a leader of the family, and there's decisions that you need to make. There are rules and limits and boundaries that you have to establish. But what we're asking is to, to, to do that in a respectful way that gives some voice to kids. So it's fine to talk about tuck-ins, and they may... They say I'd like to go to bed at 11 o'clock at night you can say, I'm sorry, that's an unreasonable bedtime. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know, so so we can talk about tuck-ins about, you know, would you like to read uh, three or four stories before bedtime? If you'd like to read four stories, we need to start five minutes earlier. So there's ways that parents can still take leadership. Uh, you know, I, it's fine to say we still need to eat, you know, vegetables and fruits and vegetables, but you can pick which of the two vegetables you'd like for dinner. So there's ways to give voice and still maintain your position of leadership in the family. And and, it, you know, it's, it's nuanced, but it's very different than saying kids are now going to rule the household and parents are now um, uh, being pushed around by their kids, which is exactly what we have seen more of in this day and age. But that just means the, 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 the child is now a tyrant and the parent is being a slave to their yeah. tyranny. And that's not respectful either. So this is about appropriately shared power based on age, based on rules.
1: And as you say, especially when it comes to the family, you know, I I wanted to go back to this. Even when you talk about a child having an idea, I think a lot has been lost with the lack of family dinners. I I Mm -hmm. worry that we don't sit down to be able to hear how a child's day was, to be able to interact, because I remember growing up, well, in a family of nine, so it was loud and noisy. Wow. But um, definitely, I I remember getting under my dad's skin with some comments, but that was a conversation we had, and he, as much as he'd be frustrated with what I'd say, (laughs) he actually (laughs) listened to it, and we'd have a conversation. So do you think that's another thing we've got to look at when it comes to maybe not a family? Meal, but a gathering so we can be a family and hear each other's views.
0: You know, we spend so little time with one another anymore. To, to your point, we're so busy getting our kids off to school or to kumon, or soccer practice, or karate practice, or ballet practice. We we spend most of our time shuffling our kids off to other adults who will spend time with them. And we've really lost that just being at home as our own tribe, and listening and talking to one another. Of course, that's fostered over the dinner table, um, but it, whether it's over a board game, or around a fire, or I hope a lot of people enjoy time visiting with their kids and playing with their kids over this last break. Um, but the time we have spent together now as a family, if you look at it historically, is at an all-time low. We, we're so busy and distracted. We just don't enter into these conversations. And likely what we end up doing is entering into fights. Yeah. And, and that's where I'd like to teach you know the, the good art of debate. Remember debating teams? Remember how you, you know, you'd pick a side, and you would have to like be witty and smart in your arguments, and you may actually sway people to your opinion. And now we just fight, and this is not helpful. We we really need to to learn to listen to to be open-minded and curious enough about how somebody else the world and isn't that really what empathy is all about we're always talking about bullying and kids and how they need to have more empathy and 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 yet as parents do we try to get inside the world of our kids do we
1: try to understand why minecraft is so compelling and <laughs> as opposed to um, just saying you're not playing it yeah that's right, right. Get all, i don't like yeah yeah no I, yeah. allison you've touched on lots here i uh, always appreciate talking to you thanks so much thanks angela Allison Schaefer, she is a parenting expert. Someone says, you grew up in a family of nine? No wonder you're so bizarre. You are right about that, Gordy. And my topic in the next half hour is even more bizarre. We've got news coming up next.